0: Welcome back to the Cold War. Don't have time for that. Don't have time for that. We've got too many notes. Well, episode 117. Sounds right. At the end of the last episode, Ray, we talked about J. Edgar Hoover taking over the FBI, Mm -hmm. uh, disobeying orders from the Attorney General. Attorney General said, from now on, we ignore what uh, people's political views are. Hoover said, right, you are boss, and then just kept doing right. it. Uh, just put them in private files, not FBI files.
1: And, and just one thing to add to that real quick, there was um, another reason for him to toe the line, obviously, be, besides being told by his boss, the AG. There was, a, I think it was like four or five months, I can't remember exactly, where he's, he was the acting um, person in charge of the entity. So obviously when you're acting, you have to, really appeared to be towing the line until it's made permanent. Obviously, he's lying the entire time but, the, but uh, one book I read was that he was very careful while he was acting. Uh, he was in the uh, acting leader of the position until, like th- until the end of the year, 1924 when it was made permanent. So again, he knows how to play the game. He's going to keep on doing it and now he's, every time he comes up with a, a problem, he just figures out a way to around it and a way to keep on doing what he's doing and to be even more secretive each time.
0: And then in the early 1930s, in the middle of the Great Depression, Mm -hmm. when Herbert Hoover was president, there was uh, the Bonus March of 1932. And again, we've mentioned this briefly on an earlier episode Um, for people who don't remember. This is when... 40-odd thousand people marched on Washington, uh, including 17,000 World War One veterans and 25,000 supporters, to demand that the veterans get paid their bonuses from World War One that had been promised. They had been promised they'd get paid, but some of the payment was pushed out into, I think, 1945. Yeah. And, yeah. of course by 1945 they were like no now we've got another thing that we've got to pay for um but they they wanted it because the the depression was on and these people were out of work and they were poor and they were starving and they said give us that money now
1: yeah can i before you go into it i just want to give a just a quick background because this was something i didn't know i enjoyed learning this so when Herbert Hoover is elected in 1928, he comes in with this brilliant, uh, with this reputation for being a brilliant administrator and a reformer. But obviously, the stock market crash of October 1929 comes along, and because of his personal philosophy, it doesn't take very long. Certainly, by 1932, where he is seen as uncaring because he doesn't want to help the people. It's not that he doesn't want to help the people; he is so afraid of tampering with this vastly complex. Entity That is the American economy. He almost doesn't know where to start. He certainly wants to help the banks and he wants to help the railroads and maybe he's hoping that a trickle trickle down, but he doesn't really want to do too much on public assistance and he doesn't want to put too many people on public assistance because he feels like it's going to weaken the country financially and it's going to weaken the moral fiber of people if they're helped out too much. But the point is, by 1932, this guy is pretty much despised. He's loathed. And now, like you were saying, these World War One veterans are coming along, and now they want to be paid for money that they're not supposed to get until 1945. Fuck that. They march on Washington.
0: And to deal with... So they set up camp at the front of the White House. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to disperse them... Douglas MacArthur and Major Dwight Eisenhower uh, are sent in to do a bit of a Napoleon, uh, but instead of dispersing them with grape shot, they disperse them with tanks and cavalry and infantry and tear gas.
1: God damn. Now,
0: now obviously, this is a major PR disaster for Hoover. I don't know what the fuck he was thinking. (laughs) Um, You've got poor, starving veterans. Yeah. Uh, and you're going to wheel in the army to disperse your veterans. Don't be a cunt. Uh, Not a good look. Right. Uh, So Hoover turned to his uh, brother, J. Edgar Hoover, (laughs) his brother from another mother, (laughs) um, and asked him to provide him with evidence that communists had been behind the bonus march and that what they had really done was crush an attempt at a communist revolution. Oh God,
1: bullshit. I need a cover story. I need a cover story. This is the president asking the head of the FBI
0: to lie yeah. about why he sent in the troops yeah. to shoot at American servicemen and women, veterans of World War I.
1: That's, you can't get much lower than that. It, you can, but you'd have to work at it. That's Trump level.
0: Is this where we should, just, you know, is this a good time to play the American national anthem and have you put no, no your it. hand on your heart, America? <laughs> no. No. Are you proud? You're proud now, America? <laughs> um, <clears throat> no. So the Attorney General's office, uh, who Hoover worked for, obviously, uh, asked Hoover for all of the information the FBI had. On communist activities. <laughs> and he said... And Jay Hoover said, the FBI does not have any information oh. on communist activities.
1: We've been ordered to stand down. He said, come on.
0: You know, are you lying to me? I swear, hand is on it, heart, I am trick? not lying. The, the <laughs> FBI... Listen to my words carefully. The FBI... <laughs> Has no such files, <laughs> sir.
1: Wink, wink, nudge, nudge.
0: Um, well, no, I don't think he even wink winked oh.
1: because
0: what he was doing was illegal. It was illegal for J. Edgar Hoover yeah. to have God knows how many files at this stage, probably hundreds of thousands <laughs> of files on American civilians right? who had not been charged with any crime whatsoever. Yeah. He just had files on their lives and was using government resources to collect that information um, oh against the express orders of the Attorney-General. Damn. So it's Damn. plainly criminal activity that the head of the FBI is doing, and at this stage had been doing it for well over a
1: decade. Um, so, look, of a- course, this is... Uh, hmm? I'm sorry, I just have to ask, do you think um, Hoover, and, excuse me, uh, J. Edgar Hoover enjoyed looking whoever right in the eye going, sorry, sir, but we're not allowed to collect that. I wish I could help, but it's it's against the law. I, I can't do that. I I just imagined he was enjoying that a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think he had a little chubby <laughs> at the end of that. Um <laughs> Now this is early in the depression as I said before now people 's lives were tough yeah they were experiencing extreme financial hardship and of course this made them question the values and sustainability of capitalism mm. and they were they were looking for alternatives and so alternative political Uh, ideologies uh, were attractive in the early 30s. Socialism, communism, fascism all had a spike in popularity in the United States, as they did around the world, which in turn made the old order ramp up their efforts against them because obviously, as we've talked about in the last couple of episodes, all of these different ideologies were talking about change. They were talking about a more, uh, well, not fascism so much. Fascism, fascism is really just about extreme capitalism. But socialism and communism mm-hmm. was about providing uh, more equitable wealth yeah. uh, and, and consequently power across the population. Right. And, of course, the old order, a.k.a. the rich white guys, <coughs> uh, they don't want that. We like I things would. the way they are. Yeah. This is our apple cart. Don't upset the apple cart. We own the apple cart. Don't fuck with my apple <laughs> cart. Now, I wanted to then talk about 1936. In August of 1936, after FDR as president, mm. he actually invited J. Edgar Hoover to the White House to discuss subversive activities. Mm. Now... Hoover had been pushing for this meeting. He had been emphasizing oh. the communist threat. Right. Uh, now again, this is this is a couple of years before World War II has started. Mm-hmm. Hitler is in power in Germany. Uh Stalin has obviously solidified his power in um Russia. Russia. Right. I think his purges are going on in 36. Mm-hmm. Um and, uh, and and at home, there is still a lot of pol- uh, political agitation, labor union agitation. Right. Uh, strikes, labor union organizing, partly as a result of the New Deal. And Hoover's been telling FDR that he has a genuine concern that the unions would be able to shut down the country oh. in the event of a war. Right. Or... In support of a war against the United States, Fuck. the unions have become so powerful. Right. In particular, he's talking about the International Longshoreman and Warehouseman Union, huh. run by Harry Bridges, right. the United Mine Workers Union, run by John L. Lewis, mm-hmm. and the Newspaper Guild, run by Haywood Brown. Gotcha. Hoover, Hoover said to FDR, the communists plan to get control of these three unions and by doing so, they would be able at any time to paralyze the country right. by stopping all shipping in and out through Bridges Union, stop the operation of industry through the Miners Union and stop publication of any newspapers through the Newspapers Guild.
1: Now, how would FDR not freak out? by that i mean obviously um hoover said it in such a way to get the guy to freak out but yeah so i mean i'm I'm sure fdr is going to catch some flack for this but basically this guy comes in and says everything we know and love could be taken from us just like that if if certain elements get their way i mean again he, he had to have a very strong reaction to that
0: yeah and I think this is exactly the fear that the rich white guys have had mm. all this time is that if you let the people get control of the wheels of industry, right. They can stop it. Then what happens to all of our wealth and power if they just if they just flick the switch?
1: Right. But now but like you said earlier, mm-hmm. on, on, in May of 1924, the then Attorney General Stone had shut down all political spying by the Bureau Investigation. So not only is um, Hoover able to scare the shit out of the president, but he's also saying, and there's no one really keeping an eye on them. Not the way that you want, mm. not the way that you need. mm
0: Now, before we get into what happens next, I want to talk about Harry Bridges, and I want to thank our friend Victor Sentoki in uh, LA for bringing him to my attention. Cool. I never heard of Harry Bridges until Victor Mm -hmm. mentioned him to me. Harry Bridges was an Australian-born American union leader. Right. Born in Melbourne, went to sea as a merchant seaman at age 16 and joined the Australian Sailors' Union. Entered the United States in 1920 and ended up getting a job as a longshoreman in San Francisco in 1922. Basically a dock worker. Right. Um, Do you know why they're called the longshoremen, Ray? No. Tell me why. Well, apparently it's because when you were on a boat uh, and you saw a big piece of coastline, you mm-hmm.
1: would say, hey, there's the longshore. <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm just, serious. No, no I long believe shore. You, it's disappointing. It's still a disappointing answer.
0: <laughs> I'm just going to be honest
1: with you. <laughs> okay. Well, that's what I read
0: somewhere. No, oh, it's be. the longshore as opposed to the shortshore, which is an island. I guess it's the longshore, <laughs> anyway. Um, so he gets a job working on uh the the whatever's the docks, yeah. Um, now, uh, he joined the International Longshoremen's Association mm-hmm. uh, in San Francisco, uh, sometime after that, which is their union, the ILA, and then he was elected right. president, yeah. In 1935, yeah, of the union. Now, according to his own version of events, the union was run by the mob at the time. Oh, and it's, and if anyone's ever seen On the Waterfront, great Marlon Brando film, Mm -hmm. I could have been a contender. (laughs) It was you, Charlie. It was you. Um. yeah that's based on the docks in San Francisco so that's oh wow that is a telling of the mobs running the docks and and Harry knew that but at least it was somebody somebody was fighting for the working man yeah so he took it over and cleaned it up wow. and he ended up becoming one of the most influential labor leaders in US history he was so influential he was on the cover of time magazine in 1937 good for him uh and He he really played a massive role in fighting for workers' rights in Mm -hmm. the U.S. and became one of the most hated men in America (laughs) as a result. He was one of the most (laughs) beloved and one of the most hated at the same time. Which, as an Australian, is exactly what we want from America. Pretty normal. Yeah, I I enjoy the heat that I get from Americans. David David Markham posted a photo on Facebook the other day of a pillow that he's got with Notre Dame Cathedral on it. And I said, is that the pillow that you scream into whenever I <laughs> say something mean about America? And he oh. said, yes, I use it constantly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh. Um, oh, I got an idea that reminds me, you should mm. be careful, but burn the roof off of your house <laughs> and see if you can get some billionaires to, uh, you know, kick you a couple hundred million to put it back. Because I'm sure to some people, you are... A guide, not D guide. I, I think you should try it.
0: I thought you were going to say I should, I should get pillows made with my face <laughs> no, on it that people could no. punch.
1: <laughs> well, you'd make a billion dollars listening then. to the podcast. Right, right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that's, that's probably one of my best ideas I've had. Punch punch, Riley pillows. Punch, punch, punch yeah. a Cameron. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway. Now, uh, there was this big strike in 1934 called the Great Maritime Strike. Mm -hmm. Happened on the docks a really, really big deal, one of the biggest strikes that had ever happened. And Bridges had a big involvement in that. He was a rank-and-file leader during the 34 strike in San Francisco, shut down all of the ports on the West Coast. It was an unprecedented three-day general strike in San Francisco, led to violent confrontations with the police and Mm -hmm. strike breakers. And a lot of violence happened. I think at least a couple of people were killed uh, as a result of them trying to break the strike. But it established the what was now the ILWU, the International Longshoreman and Warehouseman Union, <sighs> as one of the largest unions in the country. and uh, Harry ended up running that. right. Now the news media owned by the rich white guys <laughs> hated him right. I went back through newspapers.com and read a lot of the articles uh, that came out around about this time, 34 to sort of 36, 37 about Harry, mm-hmm. unanimously just hating him, right. calling him all manner of names. It's quite, quite funny to read. It's so basically, any, it's like reading anything about Julian Assange today. He was the <laughs> 30s version of Julian Assange. They just hated
1: him call him all sorts of things um, let me ask you this real quick and because of just, just real yeah. quick from from your research uh, not the newspapers because obviously that's full of lies but from your research is this guy a communist is he a socialist is he an extremist or is he just trying to help look out for the people that he represents as far as you know better working conditions and better and better uh, better wages because I know he's going to be accused of in the future but as far as his political stance, yeah.
0: well, as you hinted at, he's going to spend a lot of the next uh, twenty, thirty years being hauled in front of courts trying to accuse him of being a communist, right? Um, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. Okay. That's part of the story. Let's not. Let's not jump. Let's nope. not jump ahead. Nope. So uh, somebody else who hated him was FDR. FDR wanted to have him deported, right? uh because for for a number of reasons number one because of the power that he wielded and also because he was a critic of the new deal ah. but the great irony of this is that unions became strong in the 1930s in a large part because of the new deal
1: <laughs> right
0: legislation enacted by congress during the early new deal made uh, unions a viable concern for the first time in a long time. They had suffered prior to this yeah. because they were toothless to a large extent. But then there was this two things. The National Industrial Recovery Act of 1933 provided for collective bargaining, mm, okay. legalized collective bargaining, So then the unions could actually sit down at the table with employers and work out improved conditions. Then in 1935, there was something called the National Labor Relations Act, aka the Wagner Act, Mm -hmm. which required businesses to bargain in good faith with any union supported by the majority of their employees. That's an idea. So these had to be enacted through legislation because employers obviously weren't doing that off their own right. auspices <laughs> before this because it was the right thing to do. Fuck them. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, but FDR introduced legislation to um, force it to happen. Good for him. Now, Harry, though, fought against aspects of the New Deal, even though he benefited from it, and the unions benefited from it, um, partially because... During or after this 1934 strike, Roosevelt tried to create something called the National Longshoremen's Board, which was like a body to
1: arbitrate. Right. Ah. Okay. Um,
0: And as Harry said in his own words, that's another lot of bullshit. The only thing that'll do the goddamn trick is to get (laughs) organised and negotiate. And strike if need be. Right. So he was like, don't fucking get involved. I, you know, we are going to work this out ourselves yeah. through striking and negotiations. We don't need the government to interfere in the negotiation process because he didn't trust the government to Yeah, do that. good point. Uh, he also integrated African-American workers into the docks. Oh. Uh and a lot of other stuff, but we'll, we'll talk more about Harry Bridges later. But he's a, he's a big figure. I don't know that he's very well known in either Australia or the US. Died in 1990, by the way. Wow. Uh, li- lived a great long life, um, and I'll get into more of his story a bit later, but uh, hugely important figure mm-hmm. in the, the struggle for workers' rights in the United States and an Aussie to boot.
1: All right. Good for him.
0: So, back to FDR and J. Edgar Hoover. So, Hoover said, hey, listen, these guys, these unions are being run by communists. They could shut down the country. Right. So, FDR secretly authorised the FBI to conduct non-criminal intelligence investigations. Huh. Again. So, the FBI now had the authority directly from the president to investigate people who weren't charged with any crime (laughs) or even suspected of a crime right?
1: just based on their politics. Right. If, If I could go one step back, so Hoover and FDR are having this talk and Hoover scares the shit out of the president, and the president's reaction is, you know, you're right, I need a better idea. Of what's going on with all these different various uh, entities and their activities. And that's when Hoover says, you know, there are currently no or government organizations that are uh, looking in, that are collecting general intelligence on this subject. However, Mr. President, there is a 1916 statute which would give the FBI the authority if you officially ask for it through the State Department. Or, uh, yeah, the State Department. Now, FDR, being the wily politician that he is, he does not want to, like you were hinting at, formally request from the State Department this thing. He's like, tell you what, no, no, we don't need to do that. There, there'll be too many leaks. Why don't you talk to Secretary of State Cordell Hull, your boss, the next day, and then I'll make sure Hull talks to you, and you two can work it out, and you can work out the details. But the point is, I want it on the down low. It is going to be unofficial official we're not going to go to congress we're not we're not going to have the state department officially do this or declare this or ask for this but i want it done so fdr just like hoover is skirting the law by having a private conversation with the right person
0: so just to make sure people understand what's going on here mm-hmm. the president yep roosevelt yep asked the director of the FBI Knights. to secretly investigate Americans.
1: But let me add on to that. Hall, Cordell Hall, when he hears about this, says, Mr. President, no, no, you don't understand. I would be happy to put this request in writing because I agree with you. We've got to watch these communist sons of bitches. And and President's like, no, 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 I don't think you understand. You're not looking at me. You're not getting the wink in my eye. I don't want you to make... EverQuest in writing, but I still want it done. You two work it out.
0: Yeah. 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 And that's when they wrote the song, We can't work it out. <laughs> we can't work it out. Life is very short. short. Particularly for the president. <laughs> no. no, He's going to die in a few years. Oh, my God. Um Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the president said, do it, investigate American citizens, just keep it on the DL. Right. Because I don't want it coming back to bite me <sighs> on the ass.
1: Right. But.
0: Oh, I was just going to say that, uh, you know, um, yes. So the FBI was full of ardent anti communists, including, obviously, Hoover. And any movement that challenged racial segregation or the corporate-dominated economy were thought to be communists, either directly or indirectly influenced by or subservient to the Soviet Union. But the biggest secret of all Mm -hmm. is that J. Edgar Hoover thought FDR and Eleanor Roosevelt, Roosevelt, Might be communists.
1: I have to keep the country safe from the president and his wife. That is a messiah complex.
0: The president just gave me a secret order to do something illegal. So uh, I know he's a bad guy. I I mean, I'm actually doing it. I'm doing (laughs) it.
1: I'd love to do it.
0: But I know I'm not a communist. Right. So I don't know that he's not. A, maybe he's a communist. He's trying to subvert I trust me. our government right. by asking me to do something <laughs> illegal.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. Now,
0: more on that uh, later. But um, I wanted to point out that uh, Cordell Hull said to Hoover... Listen, I'm not going to keep any files on this. Right. And all I want you to do is keep a book where you write down the time and date (laughs) and the place of these conversations. Right. But don't tell me about it and don't show it to me because I don't want to know about it. So if that's the
1: case, who is Hoover... Checking in with because we've all got bosses.
0: Yeah, Hoover was Hoover's boss. There was no <laughs> oversight, right? It was just
1: uh, you know you do well, you J E J E H J. But see, that's the point I want to make sure we absolutely cover. There are several loopholes here that Hoover's going to take advantage of. But the hoop- loopholes are put in on purpose by the people who are above him. Because this is unofficial. This is, for lack of a better word, illegal. And and, and this is something that they're trying to make sure no one hears about, supposedly because they're trying to protect the security of the country. So just imagine Hoover going to his boss, Hull, and saying, Hey, your boss wants me to do something. Okay, that's fine. But you would think Hull would go to FDR and go, Okay, so I talked to Hoover, everything's fine. Now... um, Where's the line at? What are the limits? Um, how? how we're, we're, you know what's going too far? Give me, give me some guidelines. That conversation never takes place. It's literally Hoover saying to his boss, "Your boss wants me to do something. I'm going to do it." And because it's coming from your boss. I'm not going to check in with you. And Hull is like, no, please don't check in with me. I don't want to know any details. Hoover's got a blank check to do whatever the fuck he wants. And because he's got this Messiah complex, he's going to run with this thing, I think more than FDR could have possibly imagined he would run with it.
0: It's why I think it's funny when people are criticizing the current Attorney General Barr yeah. for being a stooge of the president. Duh. Like it's never been done before. That's his I'm job. Like, Please.
1: That's his job. <laughs> <laughs>
0: He's not the first Attorney Attorney General to uh, go down this pathway, <laughs> Right. Anyway, we had the guy in 1924 who got fired. <laughs> this guy, 12 years later, Hull, is, uh, you know, secret orders from Roosevelt to. Investigate Americans. Holler Hoover. Um, uh, then, uh, a few years later, in May of 1940, Roosevelt gave Hoover a secret directive authorizing FBI wiretapping uh, mm. anyone who was considered to be uh, a threat to national security.
1: Oh, God. And again, that was made illegal in 19... Not illegal. Was it made illegal? I think it was made illegal. Was it by an act of Congress? I'm trying to remember. Or the Supreme Court. Uh, Yeah, 1934,
0: uh, both Congress and the Supreme Ah, Court had ruled that wiretapping was illegal. Okay. But uh, Roosevelt got around it saying, well, but this this is different. So okay. this is grave matters involving the defense of the nation, he oh, said.
1: Oh, that makes it okay. Basically,
0: what I'm saying is <laughs> if the president does it, then it must be legal. Right. That's Roosevelt's uh, theory. He did a, pre- did a pretty good Nixon impersonation, I <laughs> That is, that I have is to good. Say. That is good, yeah. So the government at the time was worried about fifth column activities, Right. And FDR authorized the FBI to wiretap, quote, conversations or other communications of persons suspected of subversive activities against the government of the United States, including suspected spies. Wow. Um, and again, the Attorney General at the time was now Robert Jackson. He uh, advised Hoover that he would not be keeping a record of this Yeah, and recommended that Hoover... Just keep a book. You do it. With uh, do it. details, time, yeah. place, and case. Yeah. But uh, we're not going to check. We're not going to look. We don't want to know what you're doing. You Ooh. just. Ooh do it
1: plausible you got this you got this je
0: <laughs>
1: yes plausible yeah you got this No, we trust you you probably said you man. you used to work at the library of congress well fuck me you are qualified to keep all the notes and all the lists and and record everything i trust you i'm going to let you do it and who were some of the entities that were investigated by the fbi The maritime industry, government affairs, coal industry, newspapers, clothing, garment, fur industry, general strike activities, the armed forces, educational institutions, communist and affiliated organizations, fascist and anti-fascist movements, and organized labor organizations. All of them came under the scrutiny of this now empowered FBI.
0: And the Kennedys and mm-hmm. Eleanor Roosevelt and yeah. Martin Luther King and uh, the Beatles, uh, Elvis. uh God, <laughs> This damn. goes on. Yeah. Muhammad Ali. Um, yeah, pretty much everyone. It, everyone it really in America. If, if you were doing anything that they deemed slightly suspect in terms of trying to make the world a better place, <laughs> then uh, you were probably you probably had an FBI file. Right. Now, we'll do more on J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI at some other stage. So the Red Scare, though, after 1945, obviously was more widespread and longer-lasting than it had been before that. Uh, as a result, I guess, of some of the things that we've been talking about that happened after World War II. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Then you had this, it actually, originally it was called the House Committee on Un American Activities, the HCUA. Then somebody realized Hakua, <laughs> well, it sounds like Hakuna Matata. That's, <laughs> that's, that's not no right. fun. No. Right. So they had to change it to HUAC later on. So that, that was easier to say. But it was, it was created initially as a temporary committee in the US House of Representatives in 1938. Right. Essentially as a way to undermine the New Deal by hmm. investigating communist influence in the labor movement. As I said uh, a couple of episodes ago, it was run by a guy from Texas. Yeah. Senator Martin Dees. No Congressman Martin Dees. Dyes. Uh Dyes, Junior. you told me it's pronounced. Dyes. Junior. He was junior. Yes. Or was no. He's senior. He was junior. He was
1: no. not a self-made man like his father. His father was the representative of the same district before junior came along. So junior.
0: Right. Yeah. And I believe he was uh, from the South, Texas. He originally he originally uh, supported the New Deal. Yep. But then turned against it. When it was providing relief for people out in the country, the rural regions of Texas, he was all for it. Yep. When it started to play a bigger role in industrial affairs, he turned against it, even though he's a Democrat.
1: Well, you made the point a minute ago about some of the New Deal legislation actually helped empower the um the labor unions and that i guess being the southerner or whatever that he was he was against that so yeah so by 1936 this guy is turning away from the new deal and wants to find some way to weaken it
0: and that was shocking to me when i was researching this uh not only that there was some americans that were against the new deal but even democrats yeah were against the New Deal and actively tried to destroy it or weaken it. This whole thing about Southern Democrats being that ultra-conservative in the 30s and right. onwards uh, I, always surprises me. I always forget right. that when I'm doing 20th
1: century American history. Well, you also mentioned that um, the Australian Bridges, I believe his last name was, he, he brings blacks into the labor unions. And someone from Texas yeah. like this—I mean, he is not going to like. That. I'm not trying to generalize Texans, but this guy was a conservative Democrat, probably was racist, and and that's just another thing that he he it was going to have a hard time stomaching. Yeah. So um,
0: his committee, the Dies Committee or the House Un-American Activities Committee, as it became, really started to. Target people involved in the New Deal, and one of the I came up with some stories around this that really demonstrate how it was an anti-New Deal committee originally. Mm. And some of these stories really surprised me and shocked me. The, the first one I wanted to talk about was Frank Murphy, who was the governor of Michigan. Okay. Um, he was elected as governor of Michigan in 1936, defeating the incumbent Republican Frank Fitzgerald. Right. And during during his uh, first term in office, he implemented an unemployment compensation system. Mm. Mental health programs got improved, but then there was a message. Uh, message. I don't think sure. that's a word. Is that a word? <laughs> message. If it's not, I'm coining it. If there was a message. Hour three. Um, um, it's a massive <laughs> message, is a message, if you want right? to put that in urban dictionary for me. Sure. There was a massive and historic sit-down strike at the General Motors plant in Flint, Michigan.
1: Yeah.
0: Famously uh, the subject of Michael Moore's yeah. first documentary.
1: Which still does not have clean uh,
0: drinking water. Michael Moore doesn't? No, Flint. <laughs> Yes, Flint. Yeah. Uh, the United Automobile Workers had a massive strike there, which ended up being a turning point in sort of collective bargaining in the United States. Mm. But uh, there was a, there was sort of a big showdown between workers and police. The police were called in to act as uh, strike breakers. Big battle between them. 27 people were injured. Oh. 13 strikers ended up with gunshot wounds. Damn. And then Murphy called in the National Guard. Mm-hmm. But to protect the workers, oh, not shit. to evict them, right? as is normally the case. Yeah, there was actually a court order requesting him to use the National guard to expel the strikers, but uh, he didn't. He used them to protect. The workers the and basically Damn. forced a negotiation between the workers and uh, General Motors. Right, he had been told by the union that if the strikers would re- be were removed by force, there would be even more bloodshed. So, you know, he tried to force a peaceful settlement um, and managed to end the confrontation. General Motors recognized the union uh, under a bar- as a bargaining agent under that new Labor Relations Act that I mentioned. Right. And that in and of itself, that successful negotiation, had a huge impact on the effect of organized unions in the United States. The next year, the United Automobiles Workers' Union saw its membership grow from 30,000 to 500,000 members. Oh, right. Good for that. The BBC called it the strike heard around the world. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, yeah, good. Happy ending, right? But a couple of years later, <laughs> right? Murphy's Murphy's running for re election. Uh-huh. And a couple of witnesses were called to appear before the DICE committee. Oh, shit. And called him a communist sympathizer and a traitor. Oh. He's the fucking governor of Michigan. He handled it. He handled his (laughs) bidna. And as a result of all of the bad press that he got, at least partially as a result of that, he lost his re-election to his predecessor. Fuck. The uh, Republican Fitzgerald, who became the only governor of Michigan to proceed and then succeed the same person. Now, FDR was massively pissed about this. The fact yeah. that a, Democrat, a democratic committee in Congress would take down a democratic governor for for, for, for for peacefully negotiating a settlement that was turning violent, he called the committee flagrantly unfair and un-American. Damn. FDR called the House Un-American Activities
1: Committee un-American. Un-American. <laughs>
0: FDR did. but he's a, is great. But
1: he's a communist, according to Hoover. I, I just want to mention real quick, and, and I'm not going to take anything from you, but the Dies Committee also attacked, as pro-communist, the Labor Department of the U.S. federal government. Also attacked yeah, the bunch of commies. Yeah, National Labor Relations Board. As communists. Communist. So again, I mean, this guy is just all over the fucking And then, of course, these are entities that are to help people, you know, collective bargaining, you know, unfair labor practices, that kind of stuff. And he's calling them fucking communists. That's insane. Yeah.
0: So th- even at this stage, yeah. uh, and this is the late 30s. This is before World War II. Right. The accusation of being a communist sympathizer is being used to influence elections. It's being used to influence uh, negotiations between workers and employers. Um, And it's even being used to try and influence the ability to stop uh, the media from spreading bullshit, as we'll see in a minute. Anyway, just uh, Murphy himself, uh, this guy who was the governor, Mm -hmm. accused the Dies Committee of using their hearings to influence the election. But he had a soft landing. FDR made him the Attorney General of the United States, and then put him on the Supreme Court. Yes, so uh, he, he did okay, Murphy. And famously, he wrote the only dissenting opinion. In Korematsu versus the United States, which was the hearing that upheld the constitutionality of the internment of the Japanese oh, by Roosevelt right. during World War Two.
1: So, so I don't know
0: how FDR felt. I don't know how FDR felt about that. I put you on the fucking Supreme Court, <laughs> and you vote against. And me. And then you turn around and, and vote against <laughs> Dick me. Dick move. Vote against me. Arbitrarily putting every Japanese person in the country in jail for a few years who had yeah. committed no crime just because they had slanty eyes. I mean, hello? Um, I- he, he yeah. being Murphy, uh, in his dissenting opinion, called it the legalization of racism. Oh,
1: nice. Nice. Um,
0: so, I thought America already had legalized racism. <laughs> I didn't know how that that was a you needed more laws to legalize well, now, that. Yeah, but there you go. We got
1: the Supreme Court. And, and since we're doing dick moves, just one more. Um, dies um, again, as 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 we said a couple of minutes ago, had race issues. Being a Southerner, um, he articulated concerns of the racial question, just like Hoover's going to, as it relates to minimum wage, the minimum wage provision under the Fair Labor Standards Act, and he states that. What is prescribed for one race must be prescribed for the others. And you cannot prescribe the same wages for for the black man as you do the white man. So again, against the communist, against any kind of uh, progressive attitudes, and also against anyone who's not white, and this guy's in charge of a pretty powerful committee.
0: Give me that give me that full quote again, I
1: didn't quite understand okay. that. What is prescribed for one race must be prescribed for the others. And then he says and but it should have been but and you cannot prescribe the same wages for the black man as for the white man.
0: But he just said what is prescribed for one race must be prescribed for I, the others. I think what
1: he meant was so that, yeah,
0: you that that's I, contradictory. I, I,
1: Right. No, I think what he meant was, look, yeah, we gotta nail this stuff down. We gotta have some standards, but just make sure that the blacks are not being paid as much as the whites. Yeah, if you gotta nail it down, you gotta have minimums, whatever you gotta do, but just make sure they're not equal. That's that's how I interpreted it.
0: Oh, okay. So if we if we passed minimum wage laws for whites, then we'd have to give it to blacks and we don't wanna do that.
1: Right. So what are you saying? yeah, that's yeah.
0: Yeah, legend, superhero.
1: Um,
0: I like other criticisms uh, of him. Maury Maverick, who is another Democratic congressman from Texas, and Uh the man who invented the term gobbledygook. (laughs) He actually had that on his business card. That hurts. I invented the term gobbledygook.
1: (laughs) I got a cramp. Okay. I'm being serious. He did. I believe... He invented uh, the
0: term gobbledygook. I'm jealous. Well, I mean, uh, like, uh, uh, I've accomplished some things in my life, right? But (laughs) at that, you could die happy. That's that's
1: Barry and Stan level shit right there.
0: It is. I wonder if they fucking... He probably did hire (laughs) Barry and Stan. He... He also is the guy that uh, hired Lyndon Johnson, who was merely a congressional secretary, to work for him during the Democratic primaries. Right. Big champion of um, the New Deal. Gotcha. Hold on, I've got a thing beeping. Up. Shut
1: up. That's it. Sweet talk it. Uh, uh,
0: uh, Yeah, so he, he wasn't a fan of the Dies Committee. He,
1: uh, oh, by the way, his grandfather... Uh-huh.
0: Do you, know, do you know who his
1: grandfather was? Uh, grandfather of who again? I'm sorry. Maury we... Maverick. Um, the actual Maverick from the TV show? No, I don't know who. Tell me.
0: Well, I, I posted about this on Facebook the other day, but I don't think I've mentioned it on a show yet. His grandfather was Samuel Maverick, and I, I learned this from my cowboy book that I'm reading. Mm-hmm. Samuel Maverick was a, a, a rancher who didn't brand his cattle. Oh. Huh. And as he, everyone else did, he didn't. And right. as a result, cattle without brands on them were called Mavericks because they were different. Right. They're Mavericks cattle, Maverick cattle. And that's right. where we get the term Maverick from. Somebody oh. who does their own thing is a Maverick. You yeah. get it from Samuel Maverick. <laughs> Grandfather of Maury Maverick, the man who invented See, the term "gobbledygook." I
1: want that. I want See? someone to be able to go, "Hey, you just pulled a ray." That's what I want before I die.
0: <laughs> oh, they do say that. It's <laughs> it's uh, when you when you don't do anything. Uh, by the way, the I don't credit. know if you saw this on Facebook. I forgot to mention this. I tracked down. That old Facebook post from 2013 uh-huh. yesterday because I wanted to reference it in my book, another book I'm writing, um, about how you and I got started doing our shows together when, uh, what's his face, Jordan Harbour posted right. on the History Podcast Facebook page, you know, oh something about, hey, you know, yeah, you should do a post. Somebody, you know, if you don't want to do a big, long series, he said, <laughs> on, a, on the history of a country. Right. You could just do a smaller series on the history of a person. And I said, I'd like to do Julius Caesar. And you said, and I'm going to pull it up here because I have it handy. Okay. Jordan Harbour posted on the 5th of November, 2013, if you're thinking of starting a podcast but don't feel ready to tackle a massive 200-episode history of a country, why not start with a biography? This is relatively uncharted territory, so you have your pick – Churchill, Hitler, Caesar, Washington. These guys are screaming for podcasts. <laughs> are they? I posted, I've been wanting to do a series on Caesar for years. If anyone wants to do it with me, let me know. J. David Markham then wrote the next comment. Right. Not saying I'll do it, but he said, I very much appreciate the positive comments about our Napoleon 101 podcast. What? You will be hopefully pleased to hear that we plan to begin anew with some special guests and other programs. Th- again, thanks for the nice remarks. I think somebody above that thread had said, yeah, the Napoleon Show was great. Might have even been you. I don't know. Somebody said something nice about the Napoleon Show. Oh, good. Then you wrote the very next reply. Okay. Saying, hey, hey, Cameron, depending on how often you want the episodes to come out, I might be game. I get to work with my hero. You get to talk about Caesar. Win-win. <laughs>
1: That's a hell but, of a sales pitch.
0: As somebody pointed out, right? you spelt Caesar wrong. Yeah, I've always had you trouble. You spelled with Caesar. it C E A S A R, and yet I still decided to work with you. It <laughs> S- should have been sucker. Should have been a should have been a warning. Nope, that
1: Too late. it's like a Catholic yeah. wedding. Too late.
0: So that's do, that's doing a raid right, right there. <laughs> Um, back to Maury Maverick yes, He criticised the Dies Committee Asked exactly what un-American even meant Right He said, look Anything you don't personally agree with Could be called un-American What the hell does it even mean? I've, I say the same thing in this country When they say things are un-Australian What does that even fucking mean? We're a country of immigrants What does un-Australian un- mean? Right. Not liking Vegemite? That's about the only un-Australian thing I can think of Is not liking Vegemite right. Maury Maverick called the Huac the greatest fishing expedition in American history Ooh. and a waste of money. Damn. But, hey, he was probably a communist.
1: So yeah, fuck him.
0: I got some great quotes from a book by journalist John Franklin Carter, um, aka J. Franklin. He who wrote a syndicated column for many many years called "We the People." Okay. He wrote, to be a communist, even if the charge be proven, is not to engage in any un-American activity. It is to entertain a point of view, a political and economic philosophy. That philosophy may well be sharply at variance with the ideals that the majority of Americans hold, but is guaranteed to citizens of this republic under the Bill of Rights like any other philosophy. Damn right. Damn right. Now, that's the way I always felt about it. Back in my early days when I started learning about history and thinking about uh, the Red Scare and comedy, I used to think, well, it's just a a political and economic philosophy. How could that be so hated and against, basically against the law in a country like America, which is supposed to stand for freedom of thought?
1: Unless you're Um, breaking the law, fuck them. Yeah.
0: Right, so that was uh, Carter. By the way, Carter ended up becoming one of Truman's speechwriters, Ooh. Uh, which is a funny turn of events. Yeah. He was a friend of the Roosevelts and a friend of Truman's. Right. Um, wrote a great book, actually, um, on the New Dealers. Um, he wrote it anonymously. It was like biographies mm-hmm. on all of the people that were running the, the New Deal under the Roosevelt administration. Right. It's quite clever. He, he wrote it anonymously. Um And in his introduction, he said that. um, Fuck, I think is that
1: a didgeridoo?
0: I think it's a black chopper. Come to Uh come to arrest me? A didgeridoo. Um, In the introduction to the book, he, he he apologized to a bunch of journalists that have been writing about the New Deal. Um, saying that he was going to basically one-up them by this book, and he and he wrote his, himself in there. He apologised to himself as one of the journalists just to throw people off the scent, right. I guess. Um, anyway, uh, so this was a big confusion that I had uh, as a young fellow. Why do Americans hate communism so much? My theory is they hated it for the same reason that they hated the New Deal, because, you know, uh, they, they hated any system that w- was arguing for a more equi- equi- fuck, equitable. Equitable. Yeah, three. Thank you. I know what the fucking no, word is. You don't to need to tell me what enough. it is or how it's.
1: I know. Wow. I'm just struggling to That's speak. A- <laughs> you pulled a cam. Back off, you, bitch. You pulled a cam. All right. <laughs> I did. I pulled a cam. Yeah.
0: <laughs> any system that would engineer a more equitable distribution of wealth and power in America. Right. And I think it's really hard, as I said earlier, to uh, to appreciate today what a big fucking deal the New Deal was mm-hmm. in the 30s. Basically, the analogy I, I had in mind is that it's like, imagine Bernie Sanders or, Alec, or uh, Alexandria or yeah. Casio-Cortez became president a couple of years from now and just went, fuck it, let's go. (laughs) Balls to the wall, full-on socialism. We're going to... Right. Two years, we're going to turn everything around and make it completely socialist. Right. That's essentially what the New Deal felt like to people in the 30s. Instead of this bullshit Obama did, which was like, let's all be friends and get along, come in for a group hug. Right. Imagine it was just like this massive revolution. That's how it felt. Here's how... Uh, Franklin Carter put it in his New Dealers book. We are having a revolution. By the way, he wrote this in 1934. We are having a revolution, and the revolutionary process will take from 10 to 20 years. Nobody knows what it will lead to, and nobody seems to care, which is perhaps a good thing. Mm. For revolutions have a habit of behaving pretty much as they please and of reaching their final goal against the announced will of all concerned. Revolutions, in fact, seem to be the product, not of plans, but of glands, and so follow the lines of personality rather than policy. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Not of plans, <laughs> but of glands. Clever. Well, That's good writing I'm, right there. I'm
1: glad you said what you said a minute ago because um, you, like, you like to make mod- modern comparisons to things. If the Dyes Committee was around now, you know damn sure that Bernie Sanders, um, AOC, other people like that, Kamala Hallett. Uh, have you say her name, Harris? Kamala, Kamala Harris. Kamala. I have no idea. Kamala. Uh, I'm not voting for her. But the point is, Harris. People like Harris. Yeah, I got that. God, you're such a cam. Um, but people like that would be front <laughs> and center on that committee. And again, it just it just it gives it you know it, it makes it a little more understandable. They're trying to improve things according to some people, and for other people, they're, they're ruining things for those who like things just the way they are. So it's, I guess it's all relative.
0: Yeah, there are always people uh, who are, are, are profiting from the existing order. The old order is what John Franklin Carter calls them. They're the old order. Right. They don't want things to change, and why would they? They're making bank <laughs> in the old order, so they're going to do everything in their power to prevent any changes. Right. Oh, maybe you can, you know, play around the edges, but no significant changes. Mm-hmm. I've got more quotes from Carter I want to read. Any observer of American politics... No, shit, start again. An observer of American politics once remarked that the difference between the United States and other American republics was that the others conducted their elections as though they were revolutions. While we conducted mm. our revolutions as though they were elections,
1: nice. This guy's good.
0: Yeah. Again, yeah, he's good. Good writing. Now, that makes it makes perfect sense to fight against this if you're one of the one percent. Um, mm-hmm. It's like it's like if you tried to pass a law for a more equitable distribution of height. <laughs> I'd be like, no, I like being tall. Right. Fuck you, short people. I don't want to be short. And you're like, well, no, I think, you know, you've got six, you've got six three. You've got six, three. Uh, I'm four, four five. <laughs> All I want, let's just take a foot. Give me a foot. You take a foot. I'd be like, fuck you. My, Get your own height. This fight. is my height.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: I deserve this height. I earned it. And You go. Well, really, you were just born right. that way. I'm like, fuck you, you commie. I'm tall. I deserve my tallness. Kind of the same thing. Kind of hurtful. Here's Carter again. Carter again. I know we're running out of time, but here's Carter again, just to wrap up. Um, Generations had built up an intimate relationship between the Treasury and the private bankers, Mm. in which the Treasury was run primarily for their convenience and in which its subordination to the monetary policies of Wall Street (sighs) was taken for granted. These enemies include... He's talking about, uh, sorry, uh, this is another section. He's talking about what the enemies to the New Deal would be. Mm -hmm. These enemies include a foreign war which would tempt or impel us to shoot away the surplus which might otherwise be divided among our people. The threat of war is the worst of our enemies war would halt the New Deal in its tracks, Ah. would blow away our gigantic surplus in return for colossal debts, and would give the profit motive one last horrible spree which would wreck our society and ruin our people.
1: Damn! He nailed it. Because that's what wars do.
0: Yeah, now, of course, he's writing this in 1934. They had a war. Mm -hmm. Um, So Seven years later, by the time America got fully involved. But, um, you know, as we've seen in previous episodes, there were Americans, obviously, who wanted to get involved in the war for various economic reasons. We've talked about China and the open-door right. policy and destroying the um, economic uh, cabals the, uh, the, the the imperial countries the had around the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, of course, America came out of the war financially very well off. But, you know, when when Carter's writing, he had no idea what the next be, war would look exactly. like and how it would decimate the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he, he makes a good point. You know, you think about the money that's been spent by America on wars since... After World War II, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Korea, Vietnam, yeah, uh, and then obviously the big ones. Afghanistan, uh, af- Iraq. After
1: Bush. Yeah.
0: All of that money that could have been in spent on improving the uh, lives and society of the people been spent on wars. So he called it back then. Of course, as I've explained many, many times, a lot of people get rich out of war as well. Yeah, a few. Um, through, thanks to military Keynesianism. Right. So um, there you go. Good quotes, good books. If you can get your hands on them, John Franklin Carter. Cool. If you want a, if you want a PDF version, um, let me know. I've got I've got a couple of them as PDFs. Okay. Tracked them down. Detective. Hmm. Book detective. Cam yeah. Book Cameron <laughs> Rowley, <Raleigh>, Book detective. <laughs> All right, Uh, that's the end of this. We'll be back next time with more Dye's Committee, uh, FBI looking into the Roosevelt's, uh, more Harry Bridges, uh, all of that kind of good stuff. America's war on communism. Inside their own borders.
1: An iron curtain has descended across the continent.
0: Mm-hmm. About the uh, build-up on the about the rabbit. Not tonight. Either.
1: Come on, do it. Tell like you done before,
0: please, please, please. You get a kick out of that, don't you? Okay, I will.